Hello everybody, yes we are back with season 2 of the Aviation Spotters Podcast. I am your host, Colin. I just want to thank each and every one of you out there listening for your patience for me to get back at this. I know it's been a couple months, but I just need to take some time off, you know. Like I said, episode 0, it's a one-man band operation here. And even I need a break sometimes, but you know, we had some pretty cool stuff happen in the meantime. And it's just been it's been nice having a little time off from this. But you know what? We're back at it. Season 2 of the Aviation Spotters podcast. And I got a really good slew of guests lined up, ready to go. And I think you guys are really going to appreciate uh, who's going to be on here and who's going to be come, coming on and talking with, with me on the ABSP. So since I thought we're going to start Season 2... I wanted to get one of my really good friends on here who happens to be, and more importantly, be one of the day one listeners and who has actually given me a lot of feedback, a lot of constructive criticism, and really helped me along with this podcast. And he also has a couple straws of some F-15 E-Strike Eagles, so how can I say no? So it is my pleasure to introduce my very, very good friend and barbecue pitmaster, Mr. David Honan. Dave, my friend, how are you doing this evening? I am good. Thank you, Colin. How and, uh, and yourself? I'm doing good. You know, it's getting colder here in Boise. Um, don't know if it's fall or spring, but it's getting colder, and definitely the seasons are changing, but I'm doing good, man. Uh, thanks for coming on. No problem. You've already had snow out there. Yeah, we have uh, snow on the ground. We also, it's really weird, the beginning of September, it was, sorry, beginning of October, we literally went from almost pushing 90 degrees to the end of the month i'm in full winter gear and i literally can't tell if it's spring or winter here but you know the year is 2020 so i mean we could be doing both right now so so who knows anyway man um like i said you're one of the first listeners and you really have provided a lot of constructive criticism and feedback uh for the podcast so i really do appreciate that but uh and i couldn't i i had to have you on here at some point right i yeah well you're welcome i i definitely want to help see this uh get better and improve and and i'm glad i can lend an ear and a few words to uh to make that happen and happy you invited me on absolutely and also you've helped me out with some uh other stuff and we're actually going to get to that later on but anyway man let's uh let's get to know you a little bit man so uh where you're from how you got into aviation and uh we'll kind of go from there man so i am uh, originally from albany new york i grew up there um my childhood home from my first memories all the way through graduating high school was directly under the approach for albany county airport runway one and so i you know had exposure to airplanes from the very beginning my grandfather would take me out to the airport. Um, there's a little spotting area right at the uh, the approach end of runway one um, where you could watch planes touching down. And in the, my, the early days of my childhood, uh, the airport terminal was open with a viewing deck uh, on the roof above all the gates um, that you could go out to with no tickets. You know, this is all way pre 9-11 stuff in the, uh, the mid late 80s. Um, so that was my early exposure to aviation I got a scanner when I was a teenager, um, primarily for photographing trains, which was uh, always my my biggest passion, um, at least until the last few years. 
and uh, couldn't listen to trains necessarily from where I was, but I, I did listen to Albany uh, Tower and Approach, uh, and also uh, ATC for traffic passing over Albany uh, going into the New York City metro area. So it was fun hearing all the European accents uh, on the radio. Um, couldn't hear the controllers themselves, but it was neat listening to the airplanes respond with uh, com- you know, uh, relaying the commands for uh, uh, changing course or altitude to speed, etc. I now live in uh, Snoqualmie, Washington, about 30 miles east of Seattle. Uh, I've been out here for, uh, gosh, it'll be uh, 14 years in a couple months. Uh, came out here to work. I'm a civil engineer by trade and uh, been here pretty much since uh, right after college. Actually, so I have a kind of funny story about the Albany airport. One of my coworkers is a really big aviation geek like I am. He actually tunes into the Albany webcam every so often just because <laughs> he can. So I'm going to definitely have to tell him that. But, uh, well, you know, that's where I met you was in Seattle multiple times when I take my annual trips up there. And luckily when I was up there uh, in early September, uh, you, yourself, and a couple other friends, we did go out to barbecue, which was a really good evening to see everybody. But, uh, yeah, we kind of touched on your other hobbies. You're also into train spotting, too. Um, I know that when you've come out my way here and there, you've always trying to kind of hit the rail line. So for those that don't really know, like I do, I don't know anything about trains <laughs> or anything like that, kind of just like in like, like a general layman's term, you know, kind of how can you compare train spotting to plane spotting? First, it's rail fanning. Um, okay. <laughs> train spotting is, is more of a European term, and it has a connotation uh, kind of along the lines of the folks who uh, like to, and I don't mean to cast aspersions, but the folks who like to collect registrations uh, of planes that they see. Um, oh, yeah. Train spotters do the similar thing uh, for, for seeing the equipment that goes by. Um, I'm more of a, what I would say, rail fan photographer where I try and focus on photographing the trains. Uh, it's a lot more interesting in a way than, than airplane photography because you aren't limited to the terminals where the trains uh, originate and, uh, and, and terminate. You've got the entire stretch of the railroad to photograph, whereas with airplanes, they're you know 35,000 feet up, and all you're going to get is a little bit of a dot and some contrails in the sky. Um, trains pass through an incredible diverse variety of scenery, you know, deserts, mountains, rolling hills, and you can find fascinating compositions anywhere you go. Um, your part of Idaho has some particularly neat uh, scenery along the Snake River corridor. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the things that attracts me there. Also, uh, the rail line that runs north from Pocatello up to uh, Butte, Montana, um, is well regarded for its its amazing scenery. And unfortunately, it, it only sees maybe one train a day so you got to be lucky to uh to get out there the right day the right time and hope you get a train yeah i've seen some of the uh the trains pass near glens ferry when i go drive down to the magic valley area pretty often and you know i'm like oh that's a pretty cool picture but yeah i'm not really into trains and all that but i know that you've had a couple cover shots on some uh, uh rail fanning specific magazines right yeah i've had the cover of trains magazine three times um, I've had a feature story in there. I've won their photo contest. I've placed in a few other of their contests. Um, I've been on the cover of some other magazines. Uh, one of them is now defunct, unfortunately. Um, I actually just now have a, a four-page story on uh, the transit scene in Seattle and photographing that in the pages of Railfan and Railroad Magazine. 
Um, oh, cool. December 2020 issue. Find it on newsstands. Uh, I actually need to find a copy for myself. Embarrassingly, I don't have one yet. <laughs> uh, that, that's no fault of the magazines. I need to go find one. Um, yeah. I've also had a number of photos uh, published in railroad industry publications. Um, a decent bit of side income for quite a number of years has been corporate calendars. Uh, Union Pacific Railroad, TTX Company, Montana Rail Link. Um, those are uh, all amongst some of my clients, so to speak. Um, it's it's more of a, I don't want to say a contest so much as a, maybe a photo call, um, but I've been fairly regular in their publications over the years. Um, and then also on the my my professional side as a, as a civil engineer, the American Society of Civil Engineers uh, hosts an annual uh, Bridges photo contest that they use to locate photos for their own uh, annual wall calendar. I've been lucky enough to have um, a number of my a number of my photos selected for the calendar from contest entries, and I've also been a judge of that contest twice, which has been an incredible honor. That's pretty amazing, man. I mean, um, I know that you've done a lot of train stuff, and I've seen some of your covers, but I didn't realize actually how many covers and how many photos you've actually have on that on that sort of stage. And um, is it as popular as aviation photography, or is it you know kind of a smaller you know group of individuals? It's extremely popular, but nowhere near as popular as aviation photography. I, I'd say it's probably about an order of magnitude less in the number of people who are engaged in it. Um, in some ways, it is less accessible than aviation photography. Every town has an airport. And you can see planes in the sky, but you kind of have to go to where the trains are. Um, yeah. If, if you look at, if you go to a newsstand and look at the number of, of railroad publications versus the number of airplane publications, you'll see that there's, you know, almost a probably four or five to one difference um, in the number of airplane publications that you see out there uh, versus the train wow. stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, aviation's definitely more popular globally than, uh, than rail fans, rail fanning is. Yeah. Um, well, it, but, it, uh, sorry, um, but part of the draw of, of railroading is that tie that, uh, to the heartstrings, so to speak, you know, everyone has the, the train around the Christmas tree or, or train-themed Christmas ornaments, you know. That kind of, uh, of holiday association is, is very strong with trains. Uh, a lot of tourist railroads do Santa train or uh, some of the more themed, branded uh, experiences. Um, so it's, there's very much a, a focused effort on, on getting young kids um, engaged with trains. Uh, so you, you see that a lot too. Thomas the Tank Engine, only one of the most popular brands in the world. <laughs> um, I used to work at the Great Train Store when I was in high school before that business went bankrupt. And we had an entire corner of the store devoted to the wooden Thomas the Tank Engine uh, series of, of toys. It was incredible. Wow. It, was, it was definitely our biggest seller come the holidays. That's pretty insane, man. Um, you know, I also said earlier about having to go out and shoot trains in their natural scenery and stuff like that and you know that's that's kind of the same way with uh with some jet aircrafts over a certain lake and maybe a certain canyon <laughs> but uh we're we'll get into that later yes. on i know a lot of people are going to be <laughs> wanting to hear about that but right now we have to know one more thing about your hobbies before i move back to aviation <laughs> very quickly is 
the barbecue. Yes, I said he's a barbecue pit master, and there's a running joke between all my friends in this kind of group that I'm in with Dave, and we always have to say, is the barbecue Dave Honan approved? <laughs> so, real quick, just tell him about the barbecue and how you made your own smoker and all that. So, I, yeah, I, I um, it's, it's really funny, actually. Before I met my wife uh, about a decade ago, I wouldn't touch meat that was on a bone. It was just, it was something that was completely foreign to me, because it wasn't anything that I had had experience with growing up. And finally, maybe, you know, a year, maybe not quite a year into dating, I'm, I'm over at her folks' place. They're having dinner, and her father makes ribs. And I'm sitting there at the dinner table eating ribs with a fork and knife with everyone looking at me going, what the F are you doing? <laughs> so that was my introduction to barbecue. <laughs> um, it took a few more years until I got kind of more serious into looking at um at good barbecue uh, i visited a friend uh who lives in texas um and and she and her husband took me to uh, the green mesquite in austin it was their favorite place um and then uh that really opened my eyes a little bit more um soon thereafter they uh, they came out to visit us here and they they gifted me a book called the prophets of smoked meat um by a uh dallas-based architect who fell in love with barbecue after he moved to Texas. Um, the book proved to be so popular that he ended up getting hired as the barbecue editor for Texas Monthly Magazine. But reading through that book and the way that he describes what good barbecue is made me realize that a lot of what I had been eating wasn't. Uh, and there really aren't that many places out here in the Northwest that do, um, that do barbecue well. Yeah, and I agree. by well, I mean you are putting all of your attention into making the meat as good as you possibly can, and you're not disguising it with sauce. Uh, that, that's my personal philosophy, and I know there are a number of... Uh, there are regional specialties of barbecue all over the place. There's Texas style, there's Kansas City style, there's you know North Carolina style and South Carolina style. Um, and then jump back to Texas, there are at least four different subspecialties of Texas. There's Southern, there's Central, there's Western, there's Eastern. I'm sorry, by Western, I mean Hill Country. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there you go. yeah, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of specialties in there. So I decided at some point that I wanted to start making my own ribs at home. I had my propane grill and I learned how to do, um, indirect heating on there. So it was kind of faux smoking in a way. Uh, you put some chips in a packet, you put it on the burner and you make some smoke and you get some taste in the meat. Finally, after a couple years of that, I got a cheap smoker from Home Depot, one of those $125 specials, basically made out of tin foil. Um, doesn't hold heat worth a darn. The first time I tried to cook a brisket, it was on for 12 hours and barely got to 185 degrees. It, was, uh, it tasted okay, but it was like trying to chew on a shoe. Mm. Not terribly pleasing. So finally, I said to my wife, look, I want to get a good smoker. And... The holidays and my birthday are kind of, you know, pretty close together. So maybe we can, you know, get, you know, put a bunch of money as a gift towards towards this. And, and I'll figure out the rest from, uh, from my paycheck and my photography earnings. So she talked to her mom and they came back to me and said, we know you, you're picky. If we get you something that's expensive, there's going to be something wrong with it inevitably that you're not going to like. And you're, it's just going to bother you forever. So what we're going to do is we're going to get you a welder and you're going to build your own. <laughs> So I went to my buddy, who's a boiler maker, and I said, what welder should I get? 
Uh, yeah, the uh, the Home Depot uh, model that my wife uh, had been eyeing, um, yeah, that that didn't fly very far. Um, so yeah, so I ended up with a, a Miller, um, and then my wife works for a contracting business. The owner of that business, uh, his brother, runs a different kind of contracting business, and was able to source uh, in pretty quick order um, a 155 gallon propane tank that had been made in Southern California in 1948, uh, some pipe, wow. and a bunch of scrap steel. Um, and then through trading Facebook messages with my buddy, um, uh, the Boilermaker, who's now in Colorado, uh, I basically learned how to weld on the fly and, and built up the frame and attached the smoker to it. Uh, got some help from my brother-in-law and my fitness trainer to uh, get everything put together and, and uh, up in the air. Um, but yeah, that, that's my barbecue story, and, and um, I, I love doing it. In fact, uh, I've got a turkey brining in the, the kitchen right now. Uh, Thursday midday, I'm going to fire up the smoker and, and make a Thanksgiving turkey. Hell yeah, that's going to be absolutely delicious, and you should send me the leftovers. <laughs> You're going to have to come out and visit for those uh, and uh, arm wrestle with my family. I, well, A, I need to get back out there whenever uh, this COVID crap gets over, and um, I believe I have missed a couple days when I'm barbecue, aviation spotted barbecues, too, so I am mm -hmm. uh, due for one, I believe. Yes, sir. Anyway, man, <laughs> before I lose half the listeners... <laughs> Um, between due to hunger issues, podcast with a side of trains. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's reel it back to aviation. So, um, kind of finishing off this this topic, what would can what would you consider your home airport? Um, I guess the closest public airport to me is Bandera State. It's a grass field four W zero up on Snoqualmie Pass. Um, <laughs> I don't really think that counts though. Um, I'm. Not if you're not unless you're Josh Kaiser and you have Paul <laughs> or Jason Rabinowitz, um, yeah, or Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren. You should get him on the podcast. Anyway, um, like I said, I have a whole slew of guest lined up, yeah. man. Don't don't ruin it for the listener. <laughs> oh, I didn't know what your plans were. I apologize. Um, no, I actually haven't asked him yet. I, I'll, I'll probably you got to get JDL on. Anyway, um, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm kind of equidistant driving time from SeaTac, Boeing Field, and Payne Field. Uh, if I had to pick a home field, I'd probably say Boeing at this point. Um, I tend to spend most of my time there. Yeah, um, I go up there quite a bit too, and I would consider that my second home airport as well, because because also B O I B F I, mm. it just kind of works out really well. Anyway, man, um, so let's start moving it to the next question, dude. Uh, what type of cameras have you used uh, now and, and in the past? So right now, um, I was luckily able to upgrade to a Canon One DX Mark II over the summer. Um, my wife was gracious enough to sell her truck and let me use the proceeds from that to uh, not only buy the camera, but buy into its memory card system, which is not cheap. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm running that in parallel with a, uh, a 7D Mark II. Um, even though for a lot of aviation spotting, um, crop sensors are advantageous to get the additional reach, uh, I really felt that I needed to have the buffer that the 1DX2 packs. Um, I can rip off 70 shots in a row with no pause, which is, and that's at 14 frames a second, which is enormously yeah. helpful uh, for, for getting the shot. Um, the shot that uh, a few people might have in mind of mine from recently was mm -hmm. one of those. Yeah. Uh, towards the tail end of a string of 70-odd shots that it worked. Yeah. Um, previously to those two bodies, uh, I've, I've been all Canon since I went digital, so a, a 6D, 
a 5D, and I started out with a 20D uh, when I graduated college um, back in 05. Uh, before that, uh, I did film shooting on a uh, Pentax ME Super. Um, yeah, uh-huh. Pentax, yep. baby. I started out with my uh, my grandfather's, uh, my other grandfather's old Pentax. Um, learned how to uh, to do all that. I, I um, it had a broken light meter, which was which was fantastic to be honest, because it taught me to really get a feel for what the lighting conditions were like. Um, I had a handheld light meter. Uh, that I could point at the sun. Primarily, that's how I used it. I know a lot of people point it at the target, but I felt more comfortable um, taking a direct reading from the sun. And uh, I really got to a point where I could be just intuitive about changing light conditions once I had um, a base reading. And uh, that's actually been a detriment of digital photography, is I've lost, to a fair degree, that intuitiveness for, uh, for light levels. Um, now it's, you know, you, you take a shot and you chimp the histogram and, you know, okay, I need to adjust it by two thirds and you're good to go. Um, back then you'd be waiting a week or two before you got your slides back to know if you got it right. Oh, wow. So yeah, that was, uh, that was my photography all through college, uh, on a mix of print and slide film, depending on, uh, my budget of the month. Um, yeah, especially that sounds quite expensive. Yeah. Slides were certainly not cheap. Um, it was something like six or seven bucks a roll and, and five or six bucks a roll to process them. Um, but yeah, but on the flip side, um, that film will last for much longer than print film will. Um, yeah. And I know I've got some aviation shots in there that I should dig out. Uh, nothing great. It's all static stuff from ramps, but yeah, Delta 727 taxiing at Albany and the. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, there, there's some cool stuff in there. Yeah, uh, what about le- what about lenses? So uh, currently, my my two primary lenses are the Canon one hundred to four hundred L Mark II and the twenty eight to one hundred five f four L Mark II. Uh, I also have a seventeen to forty f four for wide angle stuff. Um, I currently use the one point four X extender Mark III when I need extra reach. Um, I had been using the Mark II before that, but I found that the Mark II only allowed me to use nine autofocus points on the, the 100 to 400, uh, whereas the Mark III upgrade uh, allows you to use every single one of the autofocus points on the 1DX2 uh, with the extender on, which is pretty cool and very useful. Yeah. Um, yeah, same thing with the five the 5D4. I used the 1.3, or yeah, the 1. Point, the 1.4 with Mark III at red flag, and I could use all my autofocus points with the 5D. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, the, the new generations of the Canon bodies are fantastic for that. They really um, are. I also have a, uh, a 70 to 200 F4L non IS, um, that I basically retired at this point. Um, the 100 to 400 is generally better for just about all of it except weight. Um, I used to have a 300 F4L non IS, which was so old that Canon wouldn't even support it through CPS about a decade ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I asked them to send it in to clean it and they're like, mm, no. Um, but I've sold that to a friend, uh, which was great. A um, little bit of cash in my pocket, and he didn't have a, a bigger telephoto, so that worked out well. Um, I also used to have a 28, actually, well, I still have it, a uh, 28 to 70 2.8L, also very old. Um, I fell down a hillside on Vancouver Island and sheared it off at the base. Oh. Yeah, that was fun. Oh. oh. <laughs> That's just cringeworthy right Thankfully there. Thankfully, it was in the bag, so I didn't. Uh, 
damage anything, but I yeah, I went ass over tea kettle and uh yeah, the the lens <laughs> suffered and the, the six D's autofocus hasn't really worked since. Um but I did that after I shot the goose uh up at Port Hardy Airport. So at least I uh I didn't screw that up. Yeah, there you go. You got some positive out mm-hmm. the negative. Well, uh, so with your your 1DX Mark II, which uh, you actually visited Boise, I believe, over the summer when it was, I believe, 105 degrees that day, um, you didn't even get out of the car, <laughs> so or else you wouldn't melt, I, know. I believe. Uh, the poor puppy, uh, she didn't want to get out of the car either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she did well, not. Well, I mean, she's, um, she's just all fur. It, she really is, and she also, she's an amazing photographer when we get oh, yeah. into it, you she's know. the best. <laughs> Yeah, you know, she does it guys plot twist. It's not Dave who takes those photos. It's it's his Della Cara. I mean I mean there's evidence of her running with the this. camera. I mean it's 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 all her. There is. You sent it to yeah. me. You 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 sent me the photos. I mean it's anyway, that's again we're we're gonna get to that guys, so please don't tune off just yet. See, I'm trying to keep everybody going. So we're gonna stretch it out, okay? But we got we gotta go through the questions first, guys. Like it's a season two. I'm trying to get more, you know, personable, but we still got to go through the AVSP questions. And feel free, podcast at gmail.com. You can shoot me those recommendations for any new questions you want. So, all right. a whole bunch of questions from uh, more pets. <laughs> yeah, if, Dave, yeah, 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 Br- bring them. I mean, hey, if it gets me viewership, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, all cat memes all the time. Oh, I dude, I'm living with a cat right now, and I could totally make that cat famous. Um, but uh, what's uh, let's before we start again? We're losing. God, we got to keep the safety mission, man. Um, <laughs> uh, so, what's your favorite airplane uh, to to spot right um, now? All time favorite airplane has to be the seven forty seven. Oh yeah, I mean in Seattle, I mean it's that's yeah. yeah. I mean we're obviously the production line's ending, which is a disappointment. Um, but they're still living on in freighter service and. It's just such an iconic and distinctive airplane. It's it's drawn my eye forever and ever. Um, I've always mm-hmm. gone out of my way, except for when the two national ones came in recently. That was annoying. But generally, I will go out of my way <laughs> to uh, to catch a seven forty seven if uh, the opportunity presents itself. Um, and that's yeah. So, what about your favorite airport to spot? At? Um, probably BFI. Uh, there's such an enormous variety of traffic from the commercial side. You know, every single newly built 737 rolls through there. Um, Boeing has flight test programs. The The 787 was done through there. The 777X is going on right now. Um, the Eco Demonstrator programs are run through there. Uh, they've used a variety KC-46. of... KC-46. What's that? KC-46, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> I'm on the commercial side, man. Hey. There's, that, the, there's the whole military okay, sorry, discussion sorry, that goes sorry. on for BFI, too. <laughs> uh, yeah and we'll get to the business exactly too. you know but then there's cargo ups has a, a terminal there and there's uh every so often there's random uh one-offs i've caught uh, a Kalita 742 there uh years and years ago before they retired them um i haven't seen an antonov there yet but yeah you get some uh you know um linden sorry for the snap uh linden air cargo uh drops in fairly regularly they like to use that as a a, a, a holdover point um, when they don't have a contract active. Um, as you mentioned a moment ago, there's a huge uh, business jet presence there uh, with multiple FBOs plus customs. Um, and then with customs there, you'll get random stuff dropping in um, to clear customs before going elsewhere in the country. Um, so, for example, in 2018, uh, NASA sent the DC-8 uh, to Germany for maintenance. And when it came back, 
it stopped at BFI overnight for fuel. Uh, and then later that year, I got the Samaritan's Purse DC-8 coming back from uh, the Pacific Islands. So who can say they got two DC-8s in the same year at the same airport? That doesn't happen anymore. That was that was pretty cool. But that, that's just kind of an example of uh, the random, weird commercial stuff you can see at Boeing Field. And then as you alluded to a minute ago on the military side, um, Boeing has active uh, production programs for outfitting uh, the P-8 and the KC-46, and unfortunately, they no longer have the E-3 program there. Um, I'm still bitter that I only caught one of them once. Uh, never did get the uh, the Air Force bird that was there. That was uh, only the NATO one once. Um, but all kinds of transients. I've seen F-15s, 16s, 18s, Osprey, C-130, C-17, C-5s. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Um, and then for air shows, you get... Uh, some of the cooler performers, you get F-22s, uh, there have been Harriers there, uh, the Blue Angels, typically based out of there when they come out here to do Seafair. Uh, and then general aviation is really huge at Boeing Field. It's got the, the short parallel runway that all the GA traffic uses. And you get to see the, the GA traffic and all this this uh, commercial traffic operating in really close proximity. And it's it's kind of weird mm -hmm. to, to think you've got all these, these private pilots in their small little Cessnas and Diamonds and whatever um getting wake turbulence calls for uh for heavy jets on the parallel yeah, so there's yeah, yeah it's it's an enormous variety um plus every so often you get to see uh the ops chasing a coyote around uh which was entertaining to see oh, on, yeah. Uh, uh, uh yeah yeah you just got yeah it was yeah right? I, uh, I was sitting there having lunch at uh at one of the spotting locations and here comes a coyote tr trotting along down taxiway bravo so, you know, I have the ops number in my phone. It's a, it's a publicly available number because they want people to report stuff. So I called it in and said, yeah, there's an animal on the field. And a few minutes later, there's uh, two sheriff's deputies and an ops truck uh, trying to box this thing in. And yeah, it didn't work out so well for them. Um, Wiley Coyote <laughs> won this time. <laughs> Those sly coyotes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the reason I also love going to the BFI. Is it's just a great airport, such a lot of variety, and a really good spotting location. Great backdrop. Um, oh, and the other thing is the SeaTac traffic is right overhead. That is true. Uh, I've actually got a lot of good shots of some of the 747s when they were still active pre-COVID, of them just flying right in, and you know you look up, oh look, 747, get the shot, and you know it's all good. And then sometimes maybe once in a blue moon, stuff from Payne Field will come and land and uh, bounce there too. So. <laughs> Um, I mean, usually, like, if I ever go up to take a trip to Seattle, I'll try and go up to Payne Field if I know there's something kind of cool going on and just check it out up there. But most of the time, I'll spend time at BFI because it's, you know, plus if you need to get to SeaTac, it's, assuming the traffic's good, you can get to some locations at SeaTac pretty, I wouldn't say easily, but you can get there with time if there's enough heads yeah, up as well. 10 minutes to the north side, 15 minutes to the south side. So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's pretty I mean, easy it's, to move between the fields, which is uh, convenient. It is, and the relationship with Boeing up there too, and the airport is really good between the spotters and the airport and the airport of Thur and in King County itself. And you know that's kind of another thing too is you know the very fine line, but a good relationship that everybody walks. And um, you know if you are going to go spot there, make sure you talk to some of these BFI guys about a lot of this stuff especially near the Boeing side of things right now, especially how everything uh, with the Max is ramping back up. But um, just be, you know, talk to a lot of these guys, get the lowdown, and, you know, everything's going to, you're going to have a great time. And before we leave that, I, I want to mention that right on the other side of Beacon Hill is Renton, uh, where the 737s are built. Oh, yes. and it's also yeah. a GA airport. So um, that, that's right close by as well. And uh, 
it can be tight for morning shots, but um, there's a good spot on the south end of the field at a public park for uh, for afternoon viewing. Just got to dodge all the homeless guys. Uh, on well, crime. yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, it's, yeah, Seattle. Uh, you mean we have to mention that at least once, right? <laughs> you can. You <laughs> unfortunately, I live here. I got to. No, I'm kidding. Hey. I've been up there enough times, all right? I was, I was driving, I'm driving I five through downtown Seattle. I've seen everything. Uh, I, I used to work at an office that that looked over on top of I five. I mean, I've seen uh, homeless camps get setting stuff on fire and shutting down the interstate uh, because there's this huge billowing fire underneath one of the overpasses. Oh, it, yeah, <laughs> crazy times. Yeah. All right, man. Well, um, what's your favorite airplane of all time? Is it still the 747 or do you have something uh, of else? Of all time, yeah, I'd have to say it's the 74. S- same thing I said before. It's it's just, it's, I've got a, a model of the Dreamlifter sitting here next to me on my desk. And it's it's just such an, I, okay, obviously the Dreamlifter is like, you know, a snake that ate a, uh, a giant ass sausage. Apparently had to apologize to Joe Stutter for making it uh, so <laughs> ugly. <laughs> I don't blame uh, him for taking offense to uh, kind of spoiling the, the lines. But yeah. um, aside from that unique derivation, it is, it's just such a gorgeous airplane. And it's enormous. It, you know, it, it, it really just has is. such a presence. It's like everybody stops and looks oh, yeah. no matter when. Like, and that's what it's an airplane that everybody knows. If you're not into aviation, everybody knows so, what a 747 is. A friend of mine is. isn't an av geek in any way, shape, or form. Um, he was recently up in Alaska and said, yeah, I saw this all-white airplane and and i i wasn't sure if it was you know some kind of secret thing or whatever and i was like well where were you what was it he goes i was at anchorage and it was the jumbo jet because he knows the 747 as the jumbo jet he's also in his 70s yeah. so you know he lived no. through um you know the the 737 and the 747 programs being basically coincident in their development you know boeing's rolling out this mm-hmm. the 737 and <laughs> then you get the seven four showing up at the same time that you know a seven four or a, can eat a seven three. So yeah, he, that that's yeah, uh, you know, it, for someone who's not an av geek, it's, it's very recognizable. It it is, it really is. And when they come to the Boise and go out to Mountain Hall, man, I I uh-huh. head out there. I mean, especially if there's a pass, especially you know the cargo ones, you know. I'm okay to miss because Delta Cargo, they're going to be around for a plethora of more years. Now, it's the passenger ones that I'll stop, drop, and roll and go get right now, no matter who the operator is, just because, you know, passenger is limited right now to mainly just um, uh, charter and send this handful of other passenger services. But do you you have a least favorite aircraft that you don't really like spotting or. Regional jets? Yeah. But twin in the tail, kind of don't care, you know. Yeah, unless Pretty it's much, a mad yeah. dog, or one of the very rare DC nines yeah. that we get up here. Yeah, it, regional jets are are boring to be honest. Um, they're just there's so many of them, and I have frankly a tough time telling them apart. Uh, it's just it's not an aspect yeah. of aviation that I really pay much attention to or care about, and uh, that's my opinion. So I'm gonna kind of special. Yeah, I'll save my too. pixels for the next plane. That's that's fair. Shave shave those shutter counts. Um, what about the rarest aircraft you've ever taken? Hawaii a photo Mars, of? hands down. Please, Ed, go on uh, about well, this I'm one. Well, I'm going to jump ahead to uh, the spotting story and and knock that one off of your uh, your your questions checklist because uh, this is okay. This is the story that I wanted to tell uh, since you always ask about one um, in in the mid. 
20 teens, I guess, I got interested in fire aviation and uh, heard about the the Martin Mars type of airplanes. And at the time, Hawaii Mars was still in service with Colson. Um, and it, it was at the twilight of its uh, active service career. Um, I had missed when it had gone down to California to hit some of the, the fires um, out of, uh, was it Lake Dunsmuir? Um, or no, Lake Shasta. Um, so, south yeah. of Dunsmuir. Lake Shasta, um, yeah. And as far as I was aware, it was kind of just done. Um, and I went up to uh, southeastern BC with a friend of mine into the Kootenays to go photograph uh, trains up there one weekend. And we're, uh, we're in Nelson overnight, and we get up in the morning, and we see this plume of smoke up on the hillside and uh, here at the gas station that they're doing a controlled burn. Oh, okay, no big deal. We go off and chase our train and chase it down to Castlegar and then bring it back. And... That plume of smoke has uh, expanded significantly. Uh, the controlled burn became very uncontrolled. Um, and we, I mean, it was, you know, 15, 20 miles east. We didn't really pay much attention to it. Um, did our thing, got photos of the trains, went to a barbecue joint for dinner that evening because that's what we do. And uh, get back to the States a couple days later, get back into cell service and discover that Hawaii Mars had been called up to go bomb that fire working off of Lake Kootenai. We were 35 miles away where this thing was scooping off the lake and didn't know it and didn't get any shots. It was heartbroken. Oh. So fast forward a year. Now it's 2017, and Colson decides that they're going to take this thing to Oshkosh. So they, they do all the workups. They had, what's his name, Kermit Geary, I think is his? Uh, yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he came up and he learned how to fly the plane. Um, and, uh, my buddy Brody Winkler was able to get out there and get some fantastic shots from, uh, uh, Colson's chase boat, um, as they were leading the plane up the lake. Oh, just amazing photos. Uh, I'm super jealous of them. So I emailed Colson, just on a whim. And I said, I know you guys are going to be leaving for Oshkosh. I would dearly love to get photos of the plane. Would you be willing to tell me when the plane is going to be leaving so I can try and get up there? And they emailed me back graciously, and they said it's going to be 7 a.m. on a Saturday, something like that. So I figure out that I can leave work at about 11 a.m., go home, get all my stuff, drive up to the border, get through customs, drive out to the ferry terminal at Delta Point, or Delta, uh, Delta Port, sorry, take the ferry over to Nanaimo, and then drive through the night out to Port Alberni. Um, so I, I tell my boss, I'm, I'm taking the afternoon off and I set this plan into motion, um, have plenty of extra time. I, you know, finally get on a boat at something like nine o'clock at night, uh, sail across, uh, over to Vancouver Island. Um, and I probably get to Port Alberni at one or two in the morning, exhausted. Uh, I pull into Colson's parking lot, never been there before and should have maybe studied the satellite images a bit better than I did. But I pull in, and I can see a gate up ahead with Philippine Mars on the other side of it. I park next to that gate, and I figure, I'm all set. People are going to show up in the morning. They're going to be coming right past me. Everything will wake me up, and I'm going to set an alarm for 6 just in case. Yeah, that didn't work out so well <laughs> because I was in the wrong parking lot. Oh, so no. I'm off on the, the north side of, of their facility, and it turns out the main entrance is on the east side. So everyone is coming, you know, pulling in over there in the morning, all the traffic's over there. 
my alarm wakes me up at six. I kind of stumble out of my Jeep, stretch a little bit, and I realize there's nothing happening. So I wander around and I realize, oh shoot, everyone's over here. Grab my bag, walk over, and there's the plane out on the water with a whole bunch of people crawling around on it. And I've, I've kind of missed it. I missed, you know, getting to talk to the people and, and get photos of them ferrying out. And I see the boat coming back in and I figure, well, that was it. Turns out there's one guy on the boat from the crew with a thermos that he needed to put more coffee in. So oh, I wow. talked to the Colson guy who was on the ground or in the boat, operating the boat. And I said, look, I came all this way up from the Seattle area to see this. And I'm kind of bummed I missed getting to meet the crew and whatnot. And he goes, I know the office didn't really tell you that you could do this, but you know, hop in the boat. Take you out there. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So in the boat with the the guy from the base, one of the pilots and the pilot's wife. Oh, and God. we motor on out to the, the plane, um, pull up alongside one of the doors. The guy gets out, leans back in, kisses his wife farewell. And then we motor off and do a lap of, uh, of, Mar- uh, of Hawaii Mars. And I get a whole bunch of really cool shots. Um, the guy's gracious enough to just sit out there while they fire up the engines and, uh, and wait for them to taxi out. So uh, it was, it, the, the sound was amazing. They, uh, yeah, so they taxi out on the Sprout Lake and, and take off to the, uh, I guess, the northwest. Um, go out a ways and turn back and at about probably 10,000 feet over, just motor on by doing a, a flyover. And, and the sound just echoed everywhere. That is oh, yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, and then to top it off, um, I met a guy who talked uh, the, the base guy into giving us a tour of Philippine Mars. So I got the, gra- <laughs> you know, the, the grand tour afterwards. Went into Port Alberni, found the tourist steam train operation that was running that day, got a tour of their shop and a few of a few photos of the train in operation. And then on the way home, was able to stop at the uh, the Boundary Bay Air Show um, southeast of Vancouver and get some shots of a, a B-17 and a few other warbirds flying around before I um, staggered on back over the border and made my way home. That sounds like the best weekend ever. And that was just Saturday. <laughs> Sun- oh, God, it was just Saturday. What happened on Sunday? <laughs> There you go. So yeah, and you got you got all those amazing, absolutely just epic, epic, stunning photos and pictures and all that, and then sleep. I mean, that's just like it was oh perfect. My God. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's just epic, man. Um, all right, man. Well, let's move it into the part where I think everybody wants to talk about. And um, I think those are your your shots up on VR thirteen fifty five. So I mean, this is the question where we're going to ask: What's your favorite event and/or location to take uh, photos outside of general airport spotting? And I mean, we we all I mean I, I know it. So I mean, just uh, thirteen fifty five, and uh, man, I'll kind of let you take it away on this one, and uh, just tell the listener about all this stuff, and then we'll. Uh, We'll maybe talk about some some other little specific things, which I think the listener will find very interesting about uh, about that. So anyway, man, take sure. it away on thirteen fifty five. Almost three years ago, I went to my first red flag, and this is kind of how the story starts um, with uh, a couple friends of ours, and had no idea what what the low levels really were about. Uh, and part of our plan was to go out to Star Wars Canyon for a day. Um, so we. Uh, 
I was the only one who was old enough to uh, to rent an SUV, so I got uh, stuck driving both ways. <laughs> <laughs> so we, yeah, we we leave uh, North Vegas at something like four or five in the morning and, and start heading west. Um, we do the trip. We get up to Father Crowley. We drive uh, um, east on the the ridge a little bit and pull over and and yeah, there's rocks. And a canyon. Let's play the waiting game. Yeah, you get to play the waiting game. Yeah, yeah, you get to watch the rocks grow. If you mean, if you're a <laughs> geologist, oh man, you're in hog heaven. But if you're an EVH photographer, it's a little, a little more right. worse than that. And then a super hornet <laughs> dropped in, and I was hooked. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, we we probably had maybe fifteen passes that day. Um, yeah, we we had That's one of the good. VX nine growlers uh, do a buzz right us right over the canyon rim in full burner. Um, that was pretty sweet. And, uh, after that, I, I realized I was really interested in doing this because it meshed with my railroad photography hobby of getting out into the wilderness and finding great scenery, to, uh, against which to set the subject. In this case, it's an airplane instead of a train. It's a heck of a lot less predictable. Um, so I started exploring VR 1355. It was, shoot, I, I live, uh, pretty darn close to the route uh you know, when planes can't get uh, all the way up and they have to bail off because of weather most of the time i'll hear them go rumble over my place on their way back to whidbey at least as far as the growlers go and i i had heard about rimrock lake from you know here and there um i did the uh, the old watch the youtube video trick and found a spot that i thought was going to be cool and was going to work and it was going to be great and i started driving out to this place and i got skunked um, I made a bunch of trips, not really knowing what I was doing. And, uh, um, frankly, I think I saw something like two jets over three trips, uh, and they buzzed over the top of the hill where I was set up and ran up the lake away from me. So I didn't even see what unit they were from. All I know is they were, uh, growlers. Uh, so that was, uh, that were my attempts in 2018. Um, 2019, I got, uh, a little more adventurous, um, I actually snowshoed in there one morning, uh, at the end of March, um, and got some army, uh, um, uh, Blackhawks, uh, which was kind of cool. No jets. Um, that was the, one of the days that one of the, uh, the aggressors, uh, the blue painted one, uh, Hornet came up, um, flew over the lake at about 3000 feet, ended up at BFI, which I didn't find out about until I got back to Yakima that afternoon. And I was like, are you kidding me? I could have gotten the blue aggressor low <laughs> level. Except they didn't run the low level. Eh, disappointing. So kind of more of the same through uh, the summer of 2019. Um, I started to uh, look for different spots uh, where I might have more success in at least seeing a jet. And my thought process was if I can, if I can actually get a decent photo, even if it's just running straight and level, maybe, maybe I can post this online and, and get some interest and, and, I don't know. That was, again, not knowing what I'm doing, that was sort of my, sort of my thought process. Um, but I found a spot on a, a, the rim of a different canyon and uh, set up there near Rimrock. And uh, after a couple attempts, one morning I got a jet going through. Great, cool, I got a shot. And then one of my friends introduced me um, online to one of his Canadian friends um, who was coming down here to uh, spend a couple days spotting Rimrock, and it turns out that he had been doing much the same type of exploration that I have been, and uh, 
knew some other spots. But we started out at uh, this one spot um, that I'd gone to where I'd finally gotten the jet. And we set up there one morning and we hear some noise and we look down three miles away down the valley and here go four F-16s from Luke. Just ripping through over the top of the ridge and gone. No shot. <laughs> At least nothing close. Then an hour behind them, there goes a C-17 doing much the same thing. Uh, so that was frustrating to see. We moved to a different spot for the afternoon. Uh, we actually got the Vader CAG, um, but it was all blue sky and awfully shadowed. So that hardly counts. I mm. uh, went back the next day, watched four Singapore strike eagles go right over the top of us, um, which was yeah. cool to see. It was frustrating to not get them down low, um, but so be it. It's the only time I've seen them over there, by the way. Um, so after that, uh, I couldn't get back for a little bit, but my Canadian friends told me about, and, and I will freely admit that I didn't find this spot on my own. Um, they to showed me how to get to uh, a ridge spot on the south side of the lake. So my wife and I planned a uh, camping trip for uh, early September. I went down there on a Thursday and uh, hiked up this ridge, got up there, and ended up catching something on the order of a half dozen or eight jets that day. Um, first one was from VAQ-139, and uh, it turned out that I the very first jet I caught on the low levels was the Finney flight that was being given, an incentive Finney flight being given to a guy uh, from uh, one of the, uh, the C-40 squadrons um, as he was wrapping up his uh, Navy Reserve career. <laughs> so go figure, you know, post the photo on Facebook and, and you know, that yeah. evening it's made its way through, you know, through the squadrons at Whidbey and, and to this guy who messages me and says, hey, I, you you got me on my my Finney flight. Can I get the photos? Absolutely. Um, so that was kind of the start of it. I went to a different spot the next day. Um, turned out to be not so great. Uh, went back there the day after and got a couple um, uh, Marine Legacy Hornets uh, that one of our mutual friends had uh, said were at uh, Portland um, and we're going to be doing a local flight. And they flew right over my head, pulling some vapor. That was pretty cool. And then I, I just started going back to that spot on the south side of the lake again and again and again, and it just started clicking. Um, it seemed like you know three-quarters of the jets, uh, at least the growlers, would go that way. Um, they, uh, they like the, to, to run the uh, little twisty route to get in there. And um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the start of it. And then th this year, uh, I, started, you know, I, I took the winter off. Um, because you know it's the winter. It's way to way up the mountains. Just you're not you don't want to be no you with don't the and it's in the winter. It's gray, especially in the Cascades. I mean, it's just it's socked in gray all yeah. the time. They can't fly through it. So what's the point? Um, yeah, I started going out and exploring um, VR thirteen fifty uh, as it started to get to springtime, so it could at least get some low level action in before the snows melted. Uh, and then finally went back to Rimrock at the beginning of April. Um, took my time hiking up one morning, get up to the top. I had literally gotten to the spot. My bag is still on my back, and an F-15 roars around the corner. I, I remember you said, I remember this and morning. I'm standing there dumbfounded going, are you bleeping kidding me? That's an F-15. 
And it takes my mind a good second or two to go, hey, dummy, there's probably another one coming. So it's a scramble to drop my bag, um, get the camera out, make sure all the settings are right, get it up in the air, and sure enough, here comes a second one. Rips around the corner, flashes past in front of me, and I get a few shots, and uh, I sent them off to you and uh, said, dude, this is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for, uh, for forwarding yep. those on to uh, the crews. That was... Uh, it was nice to hear back from them that they like the shots and uh well, they don't just love them dave <laughs> i'm sorry like them. they 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 have a they love them all right i trust me i've when i was at uh this um one of the squadrons for uh, an event that i did on behalf of the squadron they were talking about you and the photos that you take of them and how appreciative they were of that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to be hanging up uh, in the squadron that's here very really soon. really humbling. Um, uh, and I know some of them, I know some of them actually listen to this, so I'm not going to obviously for, for, for reasons, I'm not going to name who they are, but, uh, or what squadron, but, um, you know, they, uh, they really do appreciate the work that you put into making them and, and showing their families that what they do on a daily basis. And, um, on behalf of them, I, I know that they, they really do thank you for everything. That- and this is something that, that, um, it's what makes all the effort that I put into this hobby worth it is to be able to share the photos with the crews. Um, and to, to get that feedback is, um, they're serving our country. Uh, they are, um, mm-hmm. they're they're putting aside, you know, what other things they could be doing, and basically, you know, f- whatever the needs of uh, the service are, um, they're they're going to go do, and that um, I kind of see this as a way of 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 giving back for that uh, that service and that sacrifice that they make. I agree with you. I agree with you so much on that. And, you know, a lot of people do this. They go out and they try to find these low-level locations for, you know, glory and for views and for fame and all that. And, you know, people like you and I, um, we want to get these photos out to the cruise. And um, I will say that because of what you have posted and all the stuff and the work and effort you put into it, I have started looking, I've been doing this for a while now, and with the help of another spotter, who I won't name, but they the, that spotter knows who they are, and I cannot thank you enough for all the help that that, that spotter has given me, and you know I've helped, helped that spotter in return, but uh, I went out and I found some of the local low levels in Idaho. Um, helps from the pilots and the crews and all that, but... You know, I actually coordinated with some of the Harriers that were deading at Mount Home Air Force Base, and we've got we got low level shots of Harriers through this uh, through this location, and same with the local A10s through this location. And uh, we actually are supposed to have some T38s fly through, I believe, today. But uh, due to I- it's starting to get winter up there, you know, so due to icing that didn't happen. But um, BLT 38s, but um, yeah, the, the little black jet. Um, but, you know, because of you showing that this stuff's possible, you know, the spotter and I really do thank you for kind of showing that it's possible for perseverance and stuff like that. And, you know, you also helped me a lot with this little level stuff as well. Also with another friend of ours as well. But, you know, for me, thank you for everything that you've done 
to make a lot of this low-level stuff welcome. happen for me. Um, I mean, it's it's a niche aspect of a niche hobby, and it's... It, it really is, yeah. I feel like that it's... Uh, how do I put this? Going to an airport is easy because the planes come to you. Uh, they they have to land on the runway, yeah. basically, you know, unless you're shooting seaplanes um, or helicopters. But for jets, they have a mm-hmm. they have a place they have to go, um, and you can set up all day and you can you can catch them all. Um, and again, this is part of my railroad photography uh, background. Is I enjoy the challenge of going somewhere and finding a scene that's interesting, has a nice background, whatever that might be, and being able to put the subject in that scene so that you can distinctly say, this photo was taken here. Whether it's basalt cliffs or a lake or evergreen trees or scrub brush, um, or in the most famous case, you know, the red rocks of, uh, of Star Wars Canyon or the, uh, the sheep-covered hill, hills of the Mach Loop. It, every low level has something unique to offer, but it's such a challenge to to get those shots. And I feel like there's a lot of people who don't want to, maybe not don't want to, or aren't willing or aren't able to invest the time and effort it takes to make the most of those opportunities. Um, and don't get me wrong, for as many shots as as you've seen me post, there's there are misses and misses and misses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's trial and error. There's oh, days yeah. that you go out there, you don't get, you get nothing, or they fly right past you. It's a, you know, that's another thing too is, you know, being able to research these locations for years and doing a lot of things. You know, like this is your spot, right? You know, it's like your playground and all that sort of stuff. And you know, that's what kind of it just hurts when, yeah, you know, you you tell people, people get to know about this, and then they they. You know, there's everyone comes up in force, and then something stupid happens, and then it's gone forever. And you know, it just, it just, it just really hurts to to see locations like that. Um, but it, you know, you you said it perfectly. It's it's a niche. It's it's a that that first jet that you get ever low level or after that research of that spot. I'm I'm really sure that you felt the exact same feeling that I did, as I remember when I was at the spot my first time. After the research I've done, and I saw that A10, I've like, I, I was like, "Is that a bird?" And I'm going, "No, it's low." And I'm going, "Oh my god!" I literally was stood, I stood there for about a good five seconds, saying, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" And then I realized my brain's like, "Hey, Colin, you <laughs> probably put your camera up here for here and uh, get the shot of them." <laughs> um, and that was it. Just it just it, it's that adrenaline rush. It's just that that that. That feeling that Back you get, that phrase. sense of accomplishment, like, hey, I set out to do something, and, you know, I've had help from another person who I can't thank that person enough. I mean, they know, who, like I said earlier, they know who they are. Um, I don't want to give, obviously, their identity away, but, you know, it's, it, you just, it just has that sense of awesome accomplishment and just that adrenaline rush you yeah. get when you see a jet in the wild and, and know, i, I want to offer a caution about this too is that a lot of people have become accustomed to star wars canyon and the mock loop where the low level path is very narrowly defined um vr 1355 
mm-hmm. is a 10-mile-wide, 250-mile-long corridor. And the pilots have wide discretion to fly wherever in that footprint they want, so long as they're making progress from one end to the other. Uh, so it's extremely easy to find a spot that has a view. Will a jet pass? You never know. It, it, it's maddening the yeah. number of times that I've seen stuff go by. Um, and I'm in a good spot. I got a great view. And they're five miles away. They're on the route corridor. They're doing their thing. And, and I get nothing. You know, the, the Red Hawks out of Portland remain one of my uh, my nemesises, so to speak. Um, you know, I've, I've seen them out there a number of times and just never where I am. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it can yeah. be... It, really frustrating to put in all that effort to get to a spot and and have the great weather um and have nothing you know um i was uh out at one of uh, a spot a spot that i found near rimrock with one of our mutual friends um earlier this summer we watched three three ships of growlers fly up a different valley and two of those three ships had color birds in them and it drove us bonkers i mean that was if we had been at the usual spot you know the the one i mentioned earlier we would have had probably close to 15 jets that day plus helicopters the i I think there were at least a couple blackhawks that went through um and if we had stayed later we would have gotten gosh how many apaches went through something like 10 apaches went over us while we were hiking out in in two uh two flights it was ridiculous um if we'd been in the normal spot, would have had a freaking amazing day. And because I wanted to do something creative and different, I blew it. You know, um, it, it, I picked a spot uh, that was on a valley that I figure about three quarters of the growlers usually run. And for whatever reason, that one day they went a different way repeatedly. It's this this hobby can be yeah. so maddening. But when it all works out, that one second, for that one, that one second, second you're out there. And the jet comes around the corner, and you go, "Is that an F thirty-five? Like, I know there's an air show in Pasco tomorrow. Is that an F thirty-five? And it was. <laughs> and there was another one behind it. Yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, that was. And I'm getting chills down my spine remembering because it was. It was that. Um. Yeah, to to see Bayo and uh, and the safety officer. Uh, out there on the, on the 55 was was remarkable uh, and and full so, shout out to uh, to our buddy Julian Elnasser who uh, whose photos were publicized um, by the the demo team um, yeah. that was awesome to to see his work you recognized uh, for uh, for getting the shots um, you know full applause for him yeah no hands off to Julian those were uh, pretty awesome um. Real quick, what is your favorite uh, shot or string of shots that you've got on 1355 I mean, it, before I start wrapping this up? Maybe recency bias comes into this. I was up there uh, in, in October last month, and it was a pretty damp day. There were some scattered low clouds, a lot of moisture in the air, and uh, this growler came up the lake, um, punched burner to get around a corner and, and pop over a ridge. And right when that happened, all kinds of vapor started pouring off the jet. And right as it got perpendicular in front of me, shockwaves 
coming off the wingtips and the pods. It was uh, just absolutely ridiculous. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the, the having the seven D. I'm sorry, the uh, the one DX Mark II and its its uh, burst capability and then the buffer. Um, without that massive buffer, I would have been capturing shots as this jet's coming towards me, going, "That's amazing! That's amazing! That's amazing!" And I would have buffered out before it got to me. So, you know that saving your pennies and and getting a good body um, that that's got the capability for this stuff is uh, definitely a worthwhile endeavor if you're serious about um, low level photography, uh, because it, it was yeah absolutely you know, that that one instant where the jet was perfectly perpendicular that the shock waves really expanded and on the frames on either side of that um, they're markedly shorter and this is what's one fourteenth of a second. You know, that, that's what we're talking. Um, and I haven't put the photo up yet, but five frames after that, I got the full burst of vapor wrapped around the back end of the jet. Five frames. I th yeah, I remember you sent me some of them, like Razier took them and said, hey, just don't show anybody this yet, but I, I think you sent me that one, and my God, dude... Those, I mean, granted, I'm biased towards the Strike Eagles, <laughs> but, dude, that was, I, I honestly think that those are the best photos you have ever taken, just hands down, out of everything that uh, I've seen you do. There's, that's there's a 20 by 30 Absolutely. canvas print sitting here in my office that I'm going to hang on the wall this weekend. It's, um, it's a once in a lifetime shot. I mean, it's, it's something you can get at an air show because yeah. they're trying to do that, but, you know, it's. And there, there's, you know, with two pods on, there's no way that the jet could go supersonic. So don't even consider that anyone was breaking any rules. You know, the the, the crews are allowed to use burner for operational oh, needs. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a ridge line right in front of him. He's going to pop burner to get up and over that. And it was a moist day. It's just a perfect combination of, of all the factors to make it happen. And, um, yeah. Kara got the shot. <laughs> yeah, she did. Now, I, I've, I I've did. also gotten some some really cool photos of Strike Eagles this year too, which has been fantastic. Um, uh, they're uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I'm jealous. There there have been a couple passes that were particularly memorable. Um, one of them at uh, at Rimrock with uh, all kinds of crazy vapor, um, uh, wisping along the the top edge of the jet, um, and then. Another one at, uh, at another location um, where, if you look closely, I don't know how they found me, but they found me, and the sniper pod is aimed right at me. You can see the, the blue of the pod. It, it's, <laughs> you know, the, the blue reflection, reflect, reflection is aimed right at me. I'm going to re-say that. You, you can see it <laughs> in the pod. The blue reflection of the lens is aimed right at me. And other, all the other jets I got that day, um, the lens is just rotating, free rotating with gravity, pointing generally straight down. So, yeah, that was pretty cool that somehow they, they managed to spot me. I don't know <laughs> if they saw my bag or car or what. Um, but, yeah, they, uh, they locked on. I wanted, to, I wanted to text a couple friends now and ask, uh, and ask hey, guys. So uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can get back to you on that one so I can find out. But uh, anyway, man. I I uh yeah that's I'm I'm speechless dude those are 
That's some absolutely amazing stuff. But uh, anyway, dude, let's start uh, wrapping her up, man. Do you have any tips, words of encouragement, or uh, anything else you want to add and kind of say to the listener? Shoot for yourself. That's the most important thing is is don't try and impress others. Um, Don't get wrapped up in in online popularity contests and trying to get likes and shares and everything because it's just inevitably it's going to lead to disappointment. Um, I mean, I've I've been doing this low-level stuff for a couple years now. And I still don't have a thousand followers on Instagram, and yeah, I don't care. You know, I just looked at my phone. I got nine hundred eighty-three followers, and yeah. for a while I was like, "Why aren't I getting more?" And now I just don't care because that's not important. The important thing, as I said earlier, is for me is getting these photos and sharing them with the crews because those are the people that matter. Is you know being able to give back. Um, that is far and away the most rewarding aspect of this hobby is, is capturing those images for them because how else are they going to get them? They, they can do air to air shots with their cell phones when they're up at, you know, 15 or 20,000 feet. No problem. You know, you get cool views with the great scenery and the big mountains and everything, but to get the jets in action down low, they can't do that. You know, you, you need a top gun like setup where you've got a chase jet that and crews that are specifically qualified for low-level action in order to try and do that. Whereas you and I setting up on the side of a hill, we're going to be able to get those shots without going to all the cost of renting an L-39 or whatever the other chase ship is. Um, yeah. You know, that, it, it, and to, yeah, to be able to get those images and, and share them is uh, most rewarding aspect of this. I, I kind of changed the question a little bit. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, so that, yeah, that's good, what appeals to no. me is is um, is getting the the images to share with uh, the the crews uh, that that serve our country. Yeah, and I can set it better myself. You know, it's it isn't a popular contest to shoot for yourself, and I've always said that. And you know, be yourself, and you know, I really don't care. Like I have, I'm I'm about to hit four thousand on Instagram, but at the end of the day, I posted thirteen hundred shots and. You know, if, if you like my content and, you, and you're supporting me, thank you so much. But you know, if you're not a big fan, then I, I understand. I mean, it's not your I'm not your cup of tea, and you know, I accept that. You know, it's it, it is what it is. And but yeah, just shoot for yourself. I I don't think we can emphasize that enough, especially right now. If everybody's like, oh no, followers, I don't know followers, blah blah blah. Shoot for yourself. Trust me, your 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 mental health would be so much better if you just stopped caring about your followers and your likes. It's not about that. It's about your content Absolutely. and the people who really do care about your content. Anyway, man. Well, where can uh, people find your amazing works? I know you mentioned Instagram, but uh, this yeah, get the listener a place where they I've can go view those absolutely place. stunning um, photos. The best place for my aviation photography is Instagram. D.W. Honan, that's Delta Whiskey Hotel, Oscar November, Alpha November. Like a true Abby um, right there. Uh-huh. Also ham radio operator. <laughs> yeah, my dad's um, one of those too, so trust me, I, I, that's how I grew up. <laughs> I grew up knowing the alphabet, not as an aviationer, but because my dad's a ham. So, mm-hmm. um, And then D.W. Honan also on Twitter and Flickr. Um, there's less aviation content on Twitter, and frankly, there's none on Flickr. Um, I sort of just stopped posting there a while ago. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the account's still active, but it's 90% railroad stuff. Um, if you're interested in my railroad photography, that's probably the, one of the best places to go. Um, on Facebook, uh, David Honan Photography. Um, I usually cross post, uh, my aviation stuff, uh, both there and on Instagram. Um, you'll also see some of my horse photography on the Facebook page. Cause that's where I share, uh, 
uh, photos from the events that I shoot. Uh, my website is DaveHonan.com. Uh, go through there if you want to buy prints. If you uh, you see something uh, um, once you get the smug mug that uh, that you found on my Instagram that's not up there, shoot me a note. I'm happy to add it if you're interested. Um, I've also got I think about ten photos on Airliners.net, um, which have all gone I, top. No, one of them did. Maybe two. There's been a few that have gone top. Uh, trust me. Okay, three. A little bit more than that. <laughs> stop being humble. <laughs> No, it's, it's, seriously, it's 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 only been three. I swear to God, all ten have gone top. Oh God, no! Not like the the random seven thirty sevens of Moses Lake. I'm going the on there. Right, I'm going to go on there right now after we're done, and I'm going to check it out. <laughs> okay, it's it's Boac arriving at SeaTac. Yeah, against Mount Rainier. You got the DC it's, the ten tanker at Moses. No, that on there. Oh, I guess that yeah, is. yeah. There's a first photo you got on that, there. That that didn't go top. Yes, it did. I swear to God, it did. did? Yes, it did. Really? Yes. I <laughs> I didn't even notice. Yes, it went uh, top. Oh, okay. We, 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 we all posted in the group chat about it that your photo went top. It wasn't the DC-10. It was the Kalita 7-4 at sunset at Moses. I swear. I could have been either or. Okay, po- post this in the show notes, but I know the sunset silhouette of Kalita went, um, okay. went, went top. And then um, the, the wrapped 737 over the road shot in front of the, uh, the Renton plant, uh, I yes, think, went top as well. Yes, that one. Okay. Anyway, before we get sidetracked on what 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 Dave's <laughs> shots went top, uh, but uh, I'm gonna say my normal stuff like I always do, guys. Yeah, it is season two, but some stuff never changes, and this stuff never changes. Uh, you guys know the drill. If you know anybody who wants to come talk aviation with me on the Aviation Spotters podcast, shoot me a uh, email at spotterspodcast at gmail.com. You guys know where to find me on Instagram, BOI Spotter, and Twitter, BOI Spotter. Also, check out the Facebook page. We're going to be updating that really, really soon. We're going to start posting a lot of cool stuff there. You're going to see some of Dave's photos on there, too. And um, shoot me a message on there. And please, 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 we are back. This share, share, share with everybody who you think will appreciate this. You know, it's meaning a lot to me, and I know um, some guys out there would really love to hear this sort of stuff so please 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 share it and just talk about it with with people that you think you would but anyway that's gonna do it for me here on another episode of the aviation spotters podcast dave do you have anything else to add before we uh, wrap it up uh i would be remiss if i didn't uh go back to something you said a few minutes ago about uh the strike eagle community and your previous guest, Durfram, was kind enough to mention my photography, so I want to thank him for uh, for highlighting that. I, I really appreciate that. It's it was great hearing from him directly how much uh, that those photos mean to the crews, and uh, um, I hope to have more opportunities to to hopefully see some of those jets out there. Oh, trust me, you will. Just trust <laughs> me on that. But uh, and also, thank you for accepting my invitation as well <laughs> after that episode. <laughs> hey, you know it's there. And, you know, if we arrange it just right, I'll fire up the smoker for you and maybe throw a brisket on. Yeah, and then I'll chop to some crews and we get some strike kills going through uh, through uh, 1350 or the uh, edge of the world. So anyway... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyway. I've, I've, uh, I've extended an open invitation to the, the firewood crews up at Whidbey to drop into my pasture for a barbecue. And they haven't taken me up on it yet. Yeah. Maybe if you entice them with some, you know, <laughs> some, of that, some of that meat, you know. <laughs> I tried, I tried. Well, oh, well, keep doing it. Anyway, guys... That's going to do it for me here on episode 13. First episode of the new season on the ABH Spotters Podcast. So until next time, guys, you know the drill. Keep those cameras ready and those batteries charged. And we'll catch you next time here on the 
Aviation Spotters Podcast.